If you haven't picked up already, uh, the songs that we've been singing have particularly been focused on Jesus and the cross. And you're going to see why that's the case in just a moment. We're in the middle of the series on the Psalms. And uh, as you can see, the title of it, Cries of the Heart. And as David mentioned at the beginning, the Psalms are really uh, people pouring out what they're feeling before God. Uh, They're crying out to him what's going on in their heart at their time. And so we've been looking at a number of those. We've got a couple more to go through over the next couple of weeks. And then we're going to come back to them again at the end of the year and have another look at them And then. Well, I don't know whether you've been watching the NRL. Uh, Some of you probably have, some of you probably haven't. But there's a team in the NRL called St George. Some of you will be laughing. Uh, St George is an interesting team. And just the other day, a good mate of mine, who will be named Nameless, but is on Facebook, uh, two weeks ago, uh, put up this post. He put up this post on Facebook. He said, let me predict St George is going all the way to the grand final. Uh, They've got such an easy run. Uh, The next couple of weeks should be really easy. They should win the next few games. And there's only probably one tough game near the end, but they're going all the way. Dong, dong. They played Newcastle, the bottom of the table, last week, and they lost. They played this week against, who was it, Steve? South. South, that's right. Another team near the bottom of the table, and they lost. Predictions, gone south. Ah, that happens, doesn't it? No. <laughs> no, it wasn't Steve. Uh, it was a guy by the name of Steve, but it wasn't Steve Finance. It's another Steve that I know that loves St George greatly. Benjamin. Oh, it's nice, isn't it? It's nice. Ah, no, we're not up to that. Uh, it was. Well, it's got nothing to do with that, you see. It's got all to do with predictions. We'll get back to the main point of what I was talking about. Uh, predictions are made, aren't they? Uh, my mate made a prediction about what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, got it wrong. People have been making predictions uh, for, since times began, really, haven't they? People have been making predictions about what's going to happen in the future. And, and most of the time, they don't happen. Occasionally, they will. There's been some people like Nostradamus uh, who made some predictions. There's been some people who've said stuff. And little bits and pieces have come to fruition. But one of the things I think is really amazing about the Bible is that every prediction that God has made has come true. Uh, Everything, if you read through the Bible, it is a phenomenal book because God makes these promises and these predictions and all of them come true. He makes those predictions into time and space, into people's lives, into people's situations and context and and they're they're true there and then but they also have this amazing thing that they come true here too Uh, and they're there and they happen. There is no other book in the world that it comes anywhere close to having the truth of predictions that the Bible has. You see, because God, when God says something's going to happen, it does. Uh, God doesn't say something and then somehow it's going to get mucked up and mixed up. But no, God says stuff and it happens. When he predicts it, it happens. Today we're going to be reading from Psalm 22. Psalm 22 was written probably 1,500 years, oh, more than that, sorry, uh, about 800 to 900 years before Jesus was around. A long time, okay? 
Uh, we tend to think of history only in short blocks, don't we? Because everything's happened so quickly for us. But the world's been going on for a lot longer than the last 20 years, guys. And the last 100 years, it's been going on for a long time. Uh, and history for 800 years uh, before Jesus came, Psalm 22 was written by David, who's in a particular context at a particular time. But we're going to read it. I want you to think as you read this, what you know of Jesus, some of you know a lot, some of you know little, but as you read Psalm 22, just see how many of these things come true in Jesus. Now it's quite a long psalm, it's 30 verses, and I thought, oh, we could have chunked it, but we really can't chunk it. We need to hear the whole lot. And so Karen, she got the, probably the longest Bible reading for the whole of this year. Uh, bonus. So she's going to read to us Psalm, chapter, uh, psalm 22. It'll be on the screen, uh, but open up your Bibles and follow along as well because we're going to be moving through it today. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, am not, am, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All you see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. 
All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. Uh, let me help you with it. There's a lot there. Uh, it's an amazing psalm. It's spoken by David uh, at a particular time when he was having a pretty rough run. Uh, and this is his cry of his heart at that time. But the cry of his heart at that time has even more resonance to the time of Jesus. Uh, a lot of what you read through there, we're actually going to see that just about every one of them has a direct correlation with what happened to Jesus. We actually even think that possibly uh, Jesus would have been meditating on this while he was on the cross. Because you see, Jesus on the cross cries out what from the cross? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Doesn't he? The exact words of Psalm 22 are the words that Jesus proclaims on the cross. And then the very last words of the psalm are, he has done it. What does that sound like? It is finished, isn't it? So a translation for he has done it could be it is completed, it has been done, it is finished. And so it looks like Jesus on the cross has cried out the very first words of Psalm 22 and the very last words of Psalm 22. It tends to suggest, doesn't it, that that was possibly what was going through Jesus' mind while he was on the cross. That while he's on the cross, Jesus is actually thinking about Psalm 22. He's actually meditating on God's word. Have you ever really thought what was going through Jesus' mind while he was on the cross? There's about six hours of time that Jesus, by the time he is put on the cross, by the time he dies, there's six hours. That's a long period of time, isn't it? Now, and amongst that, there's extreme agony that we're going to be looking at a little bit later. But within that, even in our agony, even when you're in agony, our brain still runs to things, doesn't it? And it looks like Jesus, possibly brain, was running to Psalm 22. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, when, day, when Jesus is on the cross, when he's in anguish, when he's in pain, uh, when it's all, in a sense, coming crashing down on him in more ways than run, Jesus' mind goes to God's word and he meditates upon it. That's a real encouragement for us, isn't it? Where does our mind go to when we're in suffering, when we're in pain? Oh, to the doctor, to the medication. Now, those sort of things might be good, mightn't they? But do our minds go to God's word to meditate on that? Because, you see, as we're going to go through Psalm 22, as we hear the cry, as we see it coming together, as we get to the end of it, there is great hope and there is great praise in it. And you notice when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out to God and he meditates on God's word that God doesn't take him off the cross. He doesn't remove him from the pain, but he takes him through the pain. You see, God's not a fair-weather God. He's not God when everything's good. It's not God when just the sun's shining on us and everything looks fine outside, like the last couple of weeks here in Evan said. It's been phenomenal, hasn't it? He's not just a fair-weather God. He's God through the pain. 
He doesn't always remove the pain, but he never leaves you in the pain. He goes through the pain with you and he'll bring you out of the pain and ultimately into his presence, as he does with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus is meditating on. That's what he wanted to encourage us to meditate on. While Jesus is on the cross, Jesus is meditating on God's word and possibly he's meditating on Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? It is finished. The two cries of Jesus from the cross. Well, let's have a look at even more while I think Psalm 22 is probably going through there and how amazing Psalm 22 is. Because remember, it's speaking from David specifically but it jumps to Jesus so phenomenally. Have a look what he says there right at the beginning from the director of music. I'm not sure what the day of the morning was, but I'm sure it was a lovely tune. Uh, and he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. You see, David is feeling a separation from God, isn't he? At this point in time, he's feeling like he's been broken from God and he doesn't have a relationship with him. Something's going on here. And that's what Jesus cries on the cross, isn't it? That's where, at the cross, Jesus is feeling the pain of being separated from his Father. There's a spiritual pain going on for Jesus on the cross. We'll get to the physical in a moment, but there's a spiritual pain going for Jesus. A relational pain going for Jesus. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus says that from the beginning he was there with the Father, that the relationship between God, the Father, and we hear of the Spirit too in the Scriptures, are like one, they are like this, has been ripped apart at the cross. And he's feeling that pain while he's hanging there. He's feeling that spiritual relational pain of separation from his heavenly Father, from the one who he is with, the one who he's one with. That's the pain he's feeling at the cross. That's the anguish that he is going through. You could, it's hard to even comprehend that on the cross, is it? It's hard to comprehend it. We, we, we feel that pain in a sense, don't we? We feel that pain with Velma now, for those who know and love Velma. Imagine Ray. He's feeling that ripped apart sense of that 63-year-old marriage that she was there with him every day. No longer here on this earth. Imagine the intensity of the pain Jesus is feeling on the cross, being separated from his heavenly Father, who he's been with for eternity. But not only is that, but he's also being abused as well. Uh, look what he says there in verse 6. But I'm a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him. What does that sound like? What were the guys around the cross doing? Mocking him, weren't they? They say he can save others, save himself. It's the same words, isn't it? 800 years ago. And they're happening there. I mean, that, seeing this all come together, this is amazing, isn't it? That this is written so long ago, yet right where Jesus was, there's Jesus hanging on the cross and they're mocking him and they're insulting him and they're having a go at him. They're making a joke of him, aren't they? 
So you think your saviour, they put king of the Jews on top of the cross as a joke. They make him look like he was pitiful. A hopeless king. What a joke you are, Jesus. People have been mocking Jesus since too, haven't they? And they still do today. There's been a big push, hasn't there, uh, if you've been in New South Wales or if you're reading the papers in Queensland at the moment, to remove SRE from our schools. Mocking that, why should we have Christianity? Why should we have religious religion and secular society should be separated? That is so nearsighted and so lack of an understanding of history. Do you know why we have public schooling? Because Christians set it up in the name of Jesus. Why do they do that? Because everyone else in the hierarchy back in the 1700s is saying they're, they're plebs. They're the lowlifes. Education is only for the ones who've got money, the ones who are the aristocracy. Christians came in and says, no, all people are equal. Everyone is the same before the sight of God. Everyone should have education. And they came in and brought it. It wasn't secular education in that sense. It was secular in that it was part of the world, but it was set up by Christians. You see, secular doesn't mean that it needs to be devoid of Christianity. It's only there because of Christianity. The only reason that we have in this world around us that sense that everyone should be able to be, have free education is because followers of Jesus set it up because God says everyone is equal. Those who have been here the last couple of weeks who have seen Nicole. Nicole is a friend of ours, all of us here, who's a missionary in Chad. And if you look around Chad, it's in the centre of Africa. Everything around it is in chaos. Uh, that part of the world is just in a huge mess. And Nicole said it will never, ever change until there is a complete change in idealism. There has to be a complete change in the understanding of who humans are. You see, in every other part of the world, apart from those that have been impacted by Christianity, there are those that are the higher class and those that are dogs. There are one set of human beings that seem to be the ones that have everything and you hate and the others, they're not even human. She said, until people in that part of the world and across the world come to realise that everyone has been created in the image of God, that everyone is equal in the sight of God and everyone is valuable to God, that all humanity hold it uh, together like that, it will not change. Because one race will think that they're more important and more special than another and they'll wipe out everyone else who isn't. Just a little bit of... Uh history under there for you. You see, the reason why our Western culture values every human being is because that's what God said. That's what Jesus lived and that's why Jesus died. And though people mock and try to write it off, no one ever can, can they? Jesus experienced that relational spiritual pain he experienced the abuse and mock of people. In Psalm 22, David's saying of himself, but we can see this is all about what's happening to Jesus. And not only that, but he experienced physical pain, didn't he? Now have a look from verse uh, 12 down. And the, the lines as we go through this, just see how they go straight to Jesus. 
what happens around. There's all these people around wanting to kill and destroy David, but he says, roaring lions tear their prey, want to rip them apart. What happens to Jesus on the cross? He's strung out, isn't he? Spear in the side, wanting to rip him apart. He's being poured out like water. He's streaming, isn't he? There's blood pouring out from you everywhere. All my bones are out of joint. Have you ever seen a crucifixion? No, probably not. But if you happen to watch uh, some movies on it, not that I love it all the time, but Mel Gibson's one on the Passion of Christ is probably one of the closest to the most gruesome act of crucifixion. Basically, your bones are ripped apart. They're out of joint. Psalm 22. My heart has turned to wax, it's melted with me, my mouth is dried up like a pot to my tongue sticks to the roof of the mouth. Uh, what did they look at Jesus when he was hanging up there? What did they want to do? They wanted to give him a drink, didn't they? Because he would have been, the mouth would have been completely dried up. Dogs surround me, they pierce my hands and my feet. Now there is a little bit of controversy on the translation of that particular bit, but basically that someone is being strung up. What did they do to Jesus? Pierced his hands and his feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Now listen to this one. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. What did they do to Jesus? Exactly that, didn't they? At the bottom, the soldiers are rolling dice to see which bit of their garment they can get. This is Psalm 22, 800 years ago. The Roman soldiers didn't know this psalm. They didn't know this. They couldn't have said, okay, boys, let's get Psalm 22 out and let's do exactly what it says, all right? Let's just line it all up. They wouldn't have done that, would they? If anything, they would have tried to written it off. But God speaks 800 years before. Now it comes to fruition in Jesus. <laughs> that blows my mind. It's phenomenal. But it's ugly, isn't it, too? You see, the cross of Jesus hanging on the crucifixion is not an angelic piece with a person hanging there with a very nice smile on their face and with a loincloth. He didn't have any clothes on. They, they took his garments. Crucifixion was the most humiliating way that anyone could possibly be killed. And they gloat and they stare, whereas it's supposed to be repulsive and turn our heads away from I'm going to show you this clip very quickly and I'm going to take it off because it is revolting and it is grotesque and it is horrific. But this is what it would have been like for Jesus. You don't want to look at it, do you? It is a very grotesque, horrific picture. The picture of Psalm 22 is the picture of Jesus on the cross. And it's the picture of Jesus on the cross for us. That spiritual, relational separation, that abuse and mocking, that horrific, grotesque death, is Jesus there for you. 
so that you don't have to face death, so that you can be in eternity with him forever, so that your sins can be washed far away as we sang before. See, Jesus doesn't hang there for his pleasure. He hangs there for our sin, for our brokenness, and for the brokenness of this world. You want to see where justice is in the world? You won't see it ultimately here. We'll see glimpses of justice here, but the only place where justice is is there at the cross. Because at the cross is where God's mercy and justice flows. His grace flows out to us and his justice on everything that is wrong in this world is there. And our response has got to be gratefulness, thankfulness. Jesus, thank you. All for us. I'm just going to take a moment and be quiet. This isn't the end. There's only a little bit more to go. Because there's great hope and great praise to come. But just take a moment now, quietly, in yourself, speak to God about what you've just heard and seen of Jesus for you. Let's be quiet for a moment. Psalm 22, written so long ago, but yet just finds everything there in Jesus, doesn't it? Separated relationally, abused and mocked by the crowds, excruciatingly and horrifically killed for you and I. That psalm just pulls it together, doesn't it? It's all there, but you know, even in that psalm, in amongst all that horror and that grief there is hope that comes out of it there are moments of hope within the psalm and then at the end of it there's this huge praise bit let me just jump you through it and see what we can see out of it as well have a look what it says uh, of hope and of praise we'll get through these couple look at verse 3 uh, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one of Israel. In you the ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you believed in them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Uh, David knows in the past God has saved. And he holds on to that. God is a faithful God. He will save. There's hope in the middle of this destruction, isn't there? What about this one? Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From a mother's womb you've been... You have been my God. God has had him from the beginning. You know, God's known the beginning. He knows the beginning from the end and he's had him from the beginning. He's had David. He's got that great hope. God has not let him go. That's hope, isn't it? God is faithful. God holds. But you, Lord, are not far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Uh, David knows that God is a God who saves. His salvation is there. He has hope. God's a faithful God. God holds him and God's going to save him. And you and I have got that as well and even more. 
God is faithful. He sent Jesus. We can look back and we can see it. There it was happened. God's known us from the beginning. He's had us from the very time we were born. Or before even in the womb, he says, he's got you. He's got you hold of you. And his salvation is for you in Jesus. There's great hope there. And now that great hope, and amongst all that distress, David comes to the end of the psalm and he starts singing. He starts praising God. Because he goes from hope and he goes to praise. Here he says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. And from verse 22 on, it's like David is standing up in the middle of a great assembly like the guys out the front and he's singing. He's singing about how great God is. In fact, it says there, before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. That's a, it's a, it's a Hebrew statement that what they used to do is uh, when something good happened, they'd make a vow to God that they would praise him in the assembly. They'd go to the synagogue, the church, and they'd get up and they'd sing praise to God. They'd vow to do that. And David's saying this is the vow that he has. He's going to praise God because of this. He's going to praise God out there. He's going to praise God because of what he's going to see happening in the future. And we can do the same, can't we? We can sing praises to God as well. And you know what? Jesus would have been doing it. I don't know about you, but I've never thought of this. Have you ever thought of Jesus as the singing Jesus? Have you thought of that before? I, I think of Jesus as the powerful Jesus who calmed the storm, the healing Jesus who raised people from there, the compassionate Jesus who wrapped people's arms around him. But Jesus would have been a singing Jesus too. You see, this psalm is a whole song. And if Jesus was meditating on it from the beginning to the end, he was probably singing it. You see, Jesus grew up in the synagogue singing these psalms. He would have known these psalms and he would have been singing these psalms. And he probably would have been uh, singing them well when he was around. And he might have even been singing them in his head at the time on the cross. Now, does anyone know this picture from what movie? The Life of Brian. Now, some people think The Life of Brian is a real degradation on, on, on on Jesus, actually it's not, it's a play on the times, not on Jesus at all. There's actually some really good things about Jesus within it. And, and, and this is the end, when they're on the cross, they're being crucified. Brian, who they tried to not get crucified, but in the end decided they should crucify him. They put him on the cross, and what do they do? They start what? They start singing. Yeah, they do. Look, always look on the bright side of life. And you know, sometimes you think, that, is that a mockery of the cross? I was thinking about this. Actually, that's probably not far off, is it? You know, there's a grotesqueness to what's going on on the cross, but in that, Jesus is actually probably singing Psalm 22 to himself. And he is saying that there is the bright side of life because God actually will step in and will save him and will bring him back to life and he'll bring you and I back to life. And so even though we think maybe there... Oh, there's a bit of an edge here maybe are we pushing this well, I was actually thinking about well maybe no it's actually closer to the truth than what we think because Jesus is actually singing the psalm and I reckon he was singing it back at the Passover you know there at the Passover remember the Passover is just before the cross okay just before it at the Passover now we don't have this written down anywhere specifically so this is my possible thoughts on it, okay. Don't take it as being, uh, yeah, don't die on it. But have a think about it. At the Passover, 
at the ceremony they would have been up in the, up in the upper room and they would have been all out and at the Passover generally there would have been singing. There would have been praise, there would have been singing and they would have sat down and had the meal, broken the bread, which we're going to do at the back in a minute, they would have had the cup and they would have been singing and Jesus would have been singing with them. And I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't singing Psalm 22 because Jesus quotes it while he's on the cross, the beginning and the end. Because it's a great psalm about what's going to happen on the cross, isn't it? And the praise at the end is amazing because the praise at the end is about the salvation that's going to come to the world through this one, through the Messiah, through Jesus. I just want to throw that out to you to have a think about that we actually not only have a Jesus who is powerful, a Jesus who heals, a Jesus who saves, we have a Jesus who sings. How good is that? When you look at heaven in Revelation, what's the biggest thing that most people are doing? They're singing praises, aren't they, to God? Do you think Jesus is just standing there with his hands in his pockets? Oh, I'm not doing that. He would have been singing too, isn't he? In heaven, he's going to be praising as much as we're going to be praising. He's up the front leading it. He's bigger and taller than Dean. He's got his hands up in the air, greater than Dean. He's going for it from the front, isn't it? He's praising God. That's a great, I think that's great, isn't it? Jesus is singing with us, praising God because of God's salvation. But then we actually see in the passage that this singing actually brings the message to the nations. It's actually evangelistic. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Why? Because they're saying because the people are praising God. It's praise evangelism. That's what it is. That's what this song is. The psalmist is saying that if we're out there living a life of praise, we don't have to be just singing, but if we're living a life of praise, of saying how great and good and gracious God is, it's actually a proclamation to everybody out there who doesn't know Jesus yet that Jesus is it. And the great news is you don't have to sing well to do that. I'm so glad about that. It doesn't say that you have to sing in tune. It doesn't have to say that you have to be, have a really nice voice. It's just it's a surprise, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus couldn't sing in tune? But he was out there giving a go. Make a lot of us feel a whole lot better. Heaps better, wouldn't we? Well, for those of us who don't have good voices. But that's that sense, isn't it? Here it is, God saying that he's praising God, singing praises to God for people to come to know him and love him. It's an amazing psalm, isn't it? It's a wonderful psalm. A psalm that 800 years before Jesus, but yet as we read through it, it literally points everything to him. He fulfills all of it. You see, it's a psalm of the cross. It's a psalm of Jesus. Because, you see, actually every psalm is a psalm of Jesus. But this psalm just hammers right in on it, most specifically. Psalm of the cross, Psalm 22. Psalm that takes us to Jesus. A psalm that points to Jesus' pain and the brokenness of his relationship with God. The pain of being mocked and scorned by those around him. The pain of Jesus who went to the cross because of us. But the hope that he brings for us for life now and forevermore. The hope of justice and mercy poured out on him and coming forth from him. The grace that flows from him. 
that comes out to us in praise and hope for us for eternity. What a wonderful psalm. Can I encourage you to go home and just spend some time, sit in it, listen to it, and feel the hope and the praise of this psalm about our wonderful Saviour Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a, what a phenomenal psalm we've just looked at, Lord. There's no way that that could have been just plucked out of the air and placed there and somehow get so much of it about you unless it was you, Lord, who through David put your words onto paper. That all the predictions about what was going to happen is seen so clearly in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that it's not just amazing testimony to you, but it's a truth that really hits our hearts, that touches us, Lord, on our inner being, where we, Lord, cry out for you. We cry out to know you and love you, to know who we are in you, Lord, and we see that all that is found and fulfilled in Jesus. Heavenly Father, may we know the exhilaration of the hope that that brings and may that come forth from us in the praise of our lives and the praise of our lips. Father, we can't do that by ourselves. We can only do that through you and the strength of you and by your Holy Spirit within us, Lord. We pray now that you're well up within us, Lord, and we'll be people who will leave here and people of hope and people of praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.